Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We are the temple of the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. Now, if I don't feel like I have love, what do I do? Well, here's the wonderful thing. I say, Jesus, fill me with your love. And Lord, would you love people through me? See, that's what we have as Christians. We have the indwelling Spirit of God who is love. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 12, verses 29 through 34, in a message titled, Loving God and People. Now, here's Pastor Brian. See, the problem is not God. God's told us how to live. And if we all live the way God said to live, the world would be a pleasant place to live in. I mean, isn't it true that so often the problems that make us the most uncomfortable or, you know, bother us the most or make life the most troublesome to us, it's, it's because of what people are doing. And so how do we love our neighbor? We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Before we say or do anything, we take into consideration, would I want this to be said to me or this to be done to me? And if I can say no, then I, I, I'm not going to do it. Now, Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, he talked about the same thing, and, and I really like the way he put it here. Let me read it to you. Romans 13, 8 through 10. There Paul said this. He said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves others has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Isn't that beautiful? Love does no harm to its neighbor. So like we see here Jesus doing, and and God often does this in scripture, he takes and he just kind of summarizes in just a few sentences what it is that he requires. So we know most of us are familiar with the fact that God gave 10 commandments, right? And so 10 commandments, okay, that's manageable. I think I could probably rattle off all 10 commandments right now. I don't know if all of us could, but but okay, 10, we can work with that. Now, the religious leaders at the time of Jesus, around that time, a little before and a little bit after, they came along and they said, oh, no, no, there's not 10 commandments. There's actually 613 commandments. So they codified everything and they actually came up with 613 commandments. Now, try to, well, first of all, try to just memorize 613 commandments, let alone trying to live according to them. I mean, that's, that's the tendency of human beings. God doesn't do that. He goes the other direction. And just Jesus did it right here. The Ten Commandments, that's what Paul's saying. They're all summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Those are the commandments that pertain to men, the other commandments that pertain to God. They're all summed up in love God with all your heart. So the Lord makes it simple for us. Now, as we go further into the New Testament, it is simplified even once again. And John, the writer of the gospel and the letters, John in his first letter, he says this. He says, this is his commandment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. So he makes it even more simple. And he basically tells us something that in the command to love God is fulfilled in believing in Jesus. So remember, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. John says, believe in Jesus. That's the fulfillment of the command to love God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. And Jesus clarified, love one another as I have loved you. And did you know that in the long history of the church, it's always been when the church is fulfilling its purpose of loving God and loving each other, that's when the impact of the church has always been the greatest. When the church is at war with everybody, then its impact is minimal. Because, you know, people don't respond to anger. People don't respond to hostility. When you, you know, you come up to somebody and you begin a conversation with them that is basically just, you know, filled with judgment and rudeness and things like that. Who wants to do anything with that except get as far away from it as you can? But, you know, sometimes that's been the approach that the Christians have taken in relating to the world, just standing at a distance and shouting out condemnations and casting stones. And that's not the way God's truth is going to be received. So the primary thing that sets the church apart from the culture is love. And the biblical picture of the church Let me just give it to you. Because it starts among us and then works out from us. But the biblical picture of the church is that of a nation. The the Bible pictures the church as a nation filled with citizens. And those citizens love each other. The picture is people loving one another, helping each other, encouraging each other, building one another up, looking out for one another, putting the needs of others before themselves. And here's the thing. People from every tribe or ethnicity, people from every language, people from varying traditions and nationalities. When, when people like that live together, love each other and serve each other, that this is so powerful. This was the power of the early Christians. The early Christians got this in the earliest days of the Christian faith. I've shared this before, but I think it's appropriate to share it again. A second century philosopher observing Christians wrote this about him. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but this was his observation of Christians. He said, they seek to persuade their servants and handmaids or children to become Christians by the love they have for them. And when they have become Christians, they call them without distinction, brother or sister. 
They walk in all humility and kindness, and they love one another. When they see a stranger, they bring him to their home, rejoice over him as over a true brother, for they do not call brothers or sisters those who are after the flesh, but those who are in the spirit and of God. And then his final word there, such is the law of the Christians and such is their conduct. So the Christians were known because, man, these people loved there was actually a Roman emperor. So at the time of the emperor Constantine, Constantine kind of Christianized the Roman empire. He made Christianity legal before it was illegal. And so Christianity gained favor within the empire. And whether people were actually becoming genuine Christians or not, there was a Christian influence that was permeating the empire. Well, sometime after the death of Constantine, an emperor came to power. His name was Julian. And Julian did not embrace the Christian faith, even though he was more or less you know, brought up in sort of a nominal version of it. Uh, he opposed it, and he wanted to drive Christianity out of the empire, and he wanted to restore it to its pagan roots. And yet he had a very, very difficult time. As a matter of fact, it was impossible. It couldn't be done. And, and this is what he said. He expressed his frustration. He wrote this. He refers to Christians as atheists because they didn't believe in all of the gods of the Romans. So he calls them atheists. And he says this. He says, atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. He said, it is a scandal that there is no single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, that's his way of describing the Christians, the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. So this guy just says, man, these Christians are out loving us by miles, and we can't get any traction with our paganism because of them. And it was their love. And you see, that is the thing. And just think for a second about it yourself, personally. Love is so appealing. It's so attractive. It's one of those things that when somebody loves you, it just... It draws you in. It, it's, like, it's an irresistible kind of thing. Now, of course, there are some people that resist it, but, but it, just generally speaking, it changes everything. And this is what God says to us. Love is the key. It was the key. It still is the key. And that doesn't exclude truth. Truth, of course, is always preeminent in the Christian faith, but the biblical order is grace and truth, love and truth. You know, Jude put it this way. He talked about people who needed, needed to be saved, and he said, save, first of all, save some with compassion, and secondly, save others with fear. And the order, I think, is intentional. Our first approach is compassion, which is another way of just saying love. 
This is how we are to approach people. Now, certainly there are people that, that will at times need to be warned about judgment and things like that. We're not excluding that, but we don't start with that. Because again, if you start with that, if you start on the negative, generally you're, you're going to repel a person rather than draw them. You know, when you walk up to your neighbor and say, hey, did you know you're going to hell? I don't know about you, but if my neighbor said that to me and I wasn't a Christian, I would say, get lost. <laughs> you know, thank you, neighbor. I, I'm not interested in having this conversation any further. But if somebody comes up and says, did you know that you are so deeply loved? Did you know that God loves you so much that God has a plan? And, you know, if you start there, there that's, that's appealing. That's attractive. So save some with compassion, and yes, save others with fear. But, but love is the key. Now, I just saw this um, this weekend on Twitter. Miles McPherson is a friend of mine. Miles pastors a church in San Diego called the Rock Church. Miles is a mixed-race person. He's, he's black, pastor, but he has some other you know, things within his Makeup, so he sometimes refers to himself as mixed race, but he identifies as a as a black man. Always has. Um, today at his church, he has a guy who was a white supremacist, and I remember this story from Miles' book called "The Third Option." Miles met this guy on the at the yard of a prison, and he went to speak at a prison. And then he went out in the yard, you know, to mingle with the prisoners. And there were these big, burly, tatted up from head to feet, white supremacists who were just sort of daring him to even look their way. And, you know, Miles was a pro football player, so he probably figured, you know, yeah, they might take me down, but, you know, I'll survive it. But Miles just, he made a beeline for the baddest looking guy in the crowd. And he just came right up to him. And he got, he was telling me the story. He came, came right up to his face and just got face to face with him and said, Jesus loves you. And anyway, through that initial encounter, this guy came to faith. So today, Miles is interviewing him at his church. So I saw a picture on Instagram where they're sitting there. And, you know, the guy is bald headed. His whole head is a tattoo. And, you know, he just looks like one of the, you know, he, he looks like what he, what he was. But, but God has redeemed him. Now, now, that guy and his friends, they were looking for a fight. They wanted to mix it up. They're, here's a black guy coming on here. We're going to teach this guy a lesson. We're white supremacists. They were looking for a fight. Miles was looking to show the love of God. And the love of God prevailed. And you see, that's the reality. Love is the key. And we... As God's people, in these days of so much tension in the culture, look, we're the ones that can change it by shifting our tone from being angry and hostile and hateful. That should never be our tone anyway. But if it is, we got to change that. And we've got to speak to people lovingly. We got to speak the truth, of course. But we need to be winsome. We need to know how to speak the truth in love. Because love 
is the thing that in the end makes the difference. Love breaks down those things. One other quick story. At the festival in the UK, we had one of our speakers, a young man named David Bennett. Uh, David Bennett wrote a book called The War of Loves that I read. And the subtitle of the book is How a Gay Activist Came to Jesus. I can't remember the last part. Something like that. Uh, He was a gay activist at 19 years old. He was head of the club on his university campus in Sydney, Australia. He was on a mission to just fight Christianity for the rest of his life. Well, through a set of circumstances, God met this guy in an amazing way and drenched him, as David tells the story, just drenched him in his love. It was like this irresistible thing. Just the love of God fell upon him. He knew, even though he was completely resistant, totally fighting against Jesus. Uh, He knew that Jesus was the Lord. He knew this was God's love being poured out on him. He gave his life to Christ. He, you know, began his journey then as a Christian. And he recognized initially that uh, certain aspects of his homosexual lifestyle were, were wrong. But for three years... He still thought, as a Christian who's not sexually active, but who is still even dating people of the same sex, three years in, he still thinks that someday he's going to get married in a same-sex marriage because he's read some of the more liberal Christian stuff that tells you that you know, God's okay with that as long as it's monogamous, as long as you're committed for life and all of that. So he's under that influence. And so that's three years into his Christian life. That's what he's thinking. So he goes to the leaders of his church and he tells them that this is his plan and he just wants to make sure they're on board and he likes them. So he wants them to perform the wedding when it comes. He's not planning to get married anytime soon, but you know, just looking ahead. So he tells this to the leaders of the church. And they said, well, okay, two things. Number one, that's never going to happen. And it's never going to happen for this reason. And they just opened the scriptures and they just, you know, walked him through why that cannot happen. Uh, He still wasn't convinced. He thought, oh, these guys just, they they need to read some other stuff, you know. But, But, okay. But they said this to him. They said, but listen, we love you. And we don't want you to leave the church. So please stay. And let's just see what God will do. Now, I was with David two weeks ago, and I, like I said, I had read his book, and I was very fascinated by this amazing journey that God has had him on. This is 10 years down the road in his Christian life. He's fully solid. He's, you know, a celibate Christian. He uh, knows that he, there is no uh, same-sex marriage in his future. He's completely committed to biblical authority and all of those kinds of things. But it was a journey for him to get there. That's my point. And it was the love of the Christian people that God brought into his life that helped him go step by step on that journey to coming to the place of fully, you know, committing himself in his heart and mind to God's plan and purpose for his life, even if that's to live a celibate life for the rest of his life. But the point is, it was love. Now, I say that because I think that our temptation would often be to just say, look, here's the rule. If you don't comply, 
you're not welcome here. You know, go somewhere else. Go figure this out. And I just, I commend the leaders of that church for their firm standing on scripture, but also for their love that kept a person in the fold and gave them time to work through these issues and to come out where he needed to come out in the proper timing. So I tell that story and the, the Miles story because, you know, in both cases, it's, it's love that is, has been that dynamic that has brought that transformation. And that's what God calls us to have. So we are to love our neighbor, meaning our brothers and sisters. Let's start right here in the church with Christians. And when I say in the church, I'm not just talking about our church here, but in the church. You know, sometimes it's Christians can't even love each other. Got a lot of that going on today. That's a, that's a big problem. So if we started loving each other, though, that would be a good place. And it, it probably would, people on the outside would probably see it too. Wow, like those Christians are different. And that's happened many times. You know, people think a certain thing about what a Christian is or what Christianity is all about and they have a preconceived notion and then they write it off and they know it's bigoted and all of this stuff. And then they meet a real genuine believer who just loves Jesus and loves them. And they're like, wait, you know, this, this is not what I thought. That's a pleasant surprise. But let's surprise more and more people uh, by being that. So starting with our brothers and sisters, love your neighbor, your community, people around you, whether that's your neighborhood or just your workplace. But then loving your neighbor is also loving people in need. You see somebody in need, just do what you can to help out. And then finally, loving your neighbor is loving all you meet. Wow, just loving all you meet, just going out. And now, listen, here's the good news. The good news is that the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We are the temple of the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. Now, if I don't feel like I have love, or you know, if, if all of this just seems so foreign, what do I do? Well, here's the wonderful thing. I say, Jesus, fill me with your love. And Lord, would you fill me with your love so it overflows and touches other people? And Lord, would you love people through me? See, that's what we have as Christians. We have the indwelling presence of God, the Spirit of God, who is love. And so it's not that we're going to work ourselves up into a love frenzy. It's that we are going to say, Lord, I need you to fill me with your love and to love people through me. And if we ask the Lord to do that, and if we just keep on asking him to do it, I guarantee we are going to see radical changes in ourselves, in our relationships with other people, and people who are observing are going to see things as well that are going to be attracted to them. And now 
let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. I wanted to recommend a book that my wife absolutely loves. It is a book about Gladys Elward. Gladys Elbert was a young woman who went as a missionary to China, and God used her in an extraordinary way. The book is written by Phyllis Thompson, and she is one of Cheryl's favorite authors. So for those of you that might be interested in missionary biographies and the story, especially of how God has used a woman like Gladys, this is a book for you. So I highly recommend A London Sparrow. That's the title of the book, A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Elward by Phyllis Thompson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. You can order the book A London Sparrow by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, A London Sparrow by Phyllis Thompson, to encourage you in God's ability to use you for extraordinary things. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.